0: Log Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 519th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you an American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. You can get your daily reading from me over at thejerseysportingnews.com. Come on in. The chat room is open talk amongst yourselves if you like. you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my abilities. Very soon, ladies and gentlemen, in about 9 to 10 days. 9 to 10 days. That's right. FIFA World Cup qualifying the final round the octagon will be here starting next month on thursday september the 2nd as the united states will be on the road at el salvador at 10 o'clock eastern 7 pacific Live on CBS Sports Network as well as the Paramount Plus app and four other, excuse me, three other CONCACAF matches to battle for three automatic spots and one international playoff spot if you are in fourth place in the octagon. Once again, If you want to watch some of these matches, and you can't get it on your televisions, the Paramount Plus app will be your choice to watch Canada hosting Honduras, Panama hosting Costa Rica, you could probably watch Mexico hosting Jamaica on TUDN. You can also watch the U.S. host, excuse me, the USA on the road at El Salvador, or you can watch that on the CBS Sports Network. But this is a huge, huge opportunity for our men's national team to add to their portfolio through Greg Berhalter and the young players, whether they come from Major League Soccer or playing in Europe, either in Italy, Germany, Spain, or England, or anywhere else on that continent, to go to San Salvador and prove to everyone why this national team is back. Because now, there's no more excuses. Now, there's no place to run. There's no place to hide for the U.S. Soccer Federation, for Greg Berhalter, and for our players coming into these games. Everyone must be on the same page. (coughs) Excuse me. And that means Michael Bradley coming back into the fold, if this means Josie Altidore coming back into the fold, we all know he's injured right now. It's very, very tough to see that happen. We saw in the Red Bulls match against the Columbus Crew last Wednesday in midweek action, just Jossi Zardes with a hamstring issue. Hopefully it's not too bad but i got a funny feeling he's not going to be a, he will not be available for these 3 september qualifiers but there's no place to run and there's no place to hide either we go to qatar or there's another round of ridicule that our federation is going to have to take because we cannot have a repeat of what happened in the last qualifying cycle. We cannot have a repeat of the worst qualification cycle we have ever seen in our lives. 2013 final round was probably the best hex that our players ever had under Bruce Arena but unfortunately it fell apart in Germany in 2014 excuse me in 2006 my error sorry about that and then of course there was the Jürgen Klinsmann era the best Hexagonal, under Klinsmann in 2017, a solid 2013, and then we go to Brazil in 2014, and we had a strong World Cup in 2014, and then in 2017, it all fell apart combined with both Klinsman and Arena and now it's time for Berhalter to truly put his money where his mouth is it's time to throw out the nightmare that was Trinidad and Tobago this brand new crop of young hard-nosed kids making their marks in Europe, and some of them also making their marks in MLS. It's time to push forward. And before I even finish up this introduction monologue, I have a message for all of you supporters of our game in this country that supports the U.S. men's national team. Those of you that are expecting our our players, our boys, to wipe the floor with every single opponent on the road, I'm here to give you some advice. You think you don't need it, but you're going to get it and I'm aiming it at every one of you because I want everyone to understand where I'm coming from. I want everyone to understand going on. Forget about what happens at home because what happens at home at either an NFL stadium or an MLS stadium We're going to be at the Q2 in Austin, Nissan Stadium in Nashville, Lower.com Field in Columbus, downtown Columbus. We're going to be at the TQL Stadium against Mexico and other home matches down the road. The most pristine pitches. The most pristine fields that are kept beautifully for our MLS clubs, as well as our national teams, whether it be for the men or for the women, right. we are not going to get that down in Central America or in the Caribbean. I. Outside of the Estadio Azteca, where the true problems are going to be altitude and smog, depending on what time the match is going to get played at. If you believe on the road in Panama, Jamaica, Honduras, and El Salvador, that you're going to get a pristine pitch, you are out of your mind. I don't want to hear the arguments, but it's Panama, but it's Honduras, it's El Salvador, but it's Jamaica. No. This is what happens when you have to go on the road in CONCACAF for World Cup qualifying. These players that return home for their respective national teams, play these games in these stadiums for an advantage. Because our guys are not used to that type of pitch. They're not used to that type of stadium. You also have to understand, the embellishments will be bigger and badder. They're going to frustrate our boys. And if you're going to be upset because our guys drew on the road and they did not destroy these opponents at their place, you cannot have that mentality as a supporter. You may be laughing at me right now, and that's fine. You can do whatever you want. But what happened last year, the last cycle, back in 2017? You got upset because at the National Stadium of Panama, you got upset because it should have been a win. It should have been three points. The idea is to secure all three points at home. 21 points are up for grabs at every home stadium in the United States. If you feel you can get three points at a certain part of the schedule, tell me where. Maybe El Salvador. Canada is no longer a pushover. (coughs) Excuse me. Honduras, maybe. So far at the Aztec three match unbeaten streak, and the only win of that three match unbeaten streak is a friendly. The office in Jamaica, that's a difficult place to play. But they did win there. They did win there. And it was a big late goal. Got them for the road to Brazil for that World Cup. That was a huge win. You have to understand there will be influencing going on. You have to understand you have to respect your opponent's You cannot assume it's an easy victory down there plan. Let them execute it. Don't assume this is going to be a cakewalk. Because the last time you assumed it, we didn't go to Russia. United States did not go to Russia for the World Cup. So either you learn from your mistakes, sit back, Cheer root, but don't assume it's an automatic victory because we are the big bad USA. This is still CONCACAF, ladies and gentlemen, no matter how much it's been improved or not. Oh, and by the way, there will be no VAR. So you can throw that idea out the door and out the window. Do not assume this is cakewalk. This will be the most strenuous Three in a row matches you will see in your lives and you won't like it. But you'll love it once they get the victory at home. And you hope they can get any form of points on the road. Great show for you tonight. I got Guillermo Rivera joining me uh, later tonight about the Chicago Fire. We will talk about, of course, Mother Nature defeating the Red Bulls twice. Uh US Open Cup qualifying for those amateur clubs. We got the list out. We'll Put that out there as well on the show. But joining me right now, a gentleman, love having him on, haven't had him on in a while, but still though, he's beaming, he's smiling, he's got the grin from ear to ear. He is the one that heads the Revolution Recap Podcast, and it's my good friend Sean Donahue joining me tonight. Sean, good evening, and how are you?
1: Good, thanks so much for having me. It's been quite, quite the incredible season for the Revolution this year.
0: Well, let me ask you this, and I want to be honest here with you. I mean, look, I don't think I have seen a revolution side be this good and this strong since the days of Steve Nichols' side that had the likes of Steve Ralston, Taylor Twellman, Shalry Joseph, um, I mean, whoever Nickel had. They were like completely a dominating side. And obviously back then, D.C. United was also strong as well. But I mean, I've never lost faith in Bruce Arena as a head coach. But I mean, you have to admit, I don't think you expected a revolution side to be this strong, this dominant, and this scary playing on the field at at Gillette Stadium.
1: No, and I mean, if you're if you're talking about dominance, you know, only LAFC in that record-breaking 2019 season has had 49 points through 22 games. So I I can't say I expected that. I knew this Revolution team was good. I thought they were good enough to be you know top three seed in the East. I didn't think they were good enough to be a historically good team that could you know very well go on to break that MLS points record and are trending towards doing so right now. It's, it's it's crazy, and the fact that they've been able to continue to do so um, without Carly Thiel the past few games is, is uh, extraordinary because I kind of thought the, you know, the shoe would drop when their MVP League MVP candidate uh, went down injured, but you know they haven't really missed a beat. Um, and I think when you go back and talk about the Steve Nichol era revs and how dominant they were for that period, you know, despite the fact that they came up short in MLS Cup three years in a row, um, you know, a very impressive team. The, the one thing that stands out with this team to compare to that team is that the depth on this team um, is, you know, where you look back at that revolution team and, you know, you might have a couple of guys on the bench that you think about bringing on. And now this revolution team, you know, you can make five subs and, and not lose much, or you can you know rotate six or seven guys out and not lose much. I think that, you know, 2005 or 2007 revolution team, that was so good, had an incredible starting lineup, but this is the deepest revolution team I've ever seen.
0: You know, outside of the pandemic season last year, and I think that threw a monkey wrench into everyone's um, game plan for how they want to play last year, and obviously it's probably also tough as well not to have any fans at home, but when you're seeing everything that happened this year, did you think this could have happened last year?
1: You know, the the big problem last year was the injuries, and I think if the Revolution had been healthy last year. I think this this could have potentially happened last year. Um, but, you know, last year, I don't think they were quite as deep as they are this year. And last year, Carly's heel, you know, missed a good chunk of the season. And then when he got healthy, the Rebs went on that good run to the Eastern Conference final. Um, but I do think if the Revolution were healthy last year and if it had been a normal season, they could have done something similar. Um, but, you know, again, health and, of course, the pandemic and everything else that went on, uh, hurt that, but it, it's just incredible. They're on a nine-game unbeaten streak right now, the longest unbeaten streak they've ever had in eleven games, uh, which is which was you know tied by Bruce Arena in his first eleven games in charge. Um, well, also a little bit overlap from from Mike Lapras in charge, but first eleven games from Bruce Arena unbeaten, um, which tied the record from two thousand five, and I think they're you know, two games away from tying that now. Um, so they've been really good under Bruce Arena, um, minus that stretch as you kind of talked about last year during the pandemic when Carly Spiel was out and. They were, you know, struggling
0: a bit. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. Um, I'll tell you right now, uh, to me, this is a revelation for me, for this revolution team. And maybe it's not for you. Maybe you saw it coming, but I don't know, because that's why I asked the questions. But Taysom Buchanan, the Canadian international in the midfield, to me, has been very deadly, very strong. He takes his chances anywhere and everywhere in the offensive end. And there it goes into the back of the net like it's nobody's business. I have been amazed with how Tejon Buchanan has really evolved his game so quickly for the Revolution. Was he ever like this when he came over? Or was it just a Bruce Arena giving him the, that opportunity to prove to everyone? And even the Canadian Soccer Association – that he is this good and he is this strong and he is this cagey uh, young player that wants uh, his his minutes and he wants to be a part of that national team.
1: The level of improvement from KJ Buchanan over the past two seasons has been nothing short of incredible. I think if you, if you went back and listened to some of our podcasts on, on Revolution Recap, some of my, my co-hosts, you know, even maybe 16 months ago or towards the beginning of last season, were, were questioning you know, what he was offering for the revolution, you know, even off the bench and whether or not he should be playing in a close game. And, and he, to go from that um, to, you know, in a short period of time, becoming a, a must-start player and a guy that, you know, is the star of the Canadian national team and is getting interest from Europe and is apparently over in Europe right now, signing, probably signing a contract with, with some team to be determined, um, is, is absolutely incredible. It, it's You know, he, you knew he was talented when he was drafted by, by Brad Friedel, Um, and, you know, you saw some of that promise early on, but there was a lot of inconsistency in his game where he would, you know, come out and have some really good promising performances, but then would have a really poor performance and wouldn't show up. And the the fact that, you know, in the past year or so, he's become a consistent, uh, really dangerous threat, beating people on the dribble, great service, great finishing. Um, He has really evolved into an incredible player um, that I think Revolution fans are going to have to enjoy for the next few months, Uh, before he goes over to Europe inevitably in January.
0: Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, the amazing thing, this is what I've always said about Bruce Arena. And, you know, he started over at DC United, winning two MLS Cup championships, Um, then the Los Angeles Galaxy. I know he had his little stint with the Red Bulls for like a year and a half in that year, you know, I, I've always said it was a mistake by the Red Bulls to, to, to sack him for no reason, in my opinion. But, you know, that's what happens when you have, you know, a different heads clashing around. But still, though, um, what he did for the U.S. men's national team in that run in 2002 in the World Cup, everything that Bruce Arena touches turns to gold. And no matter what anyone says, even though he had the failure not qualifying for Russia for the World Cup, Bruce Arena, to me, a living legend. He's already in the Hall of Fame at, you know, down in Frisco. There's no denying what he can do, how he can transform a roster, how he can change the fortunes of a club that has gone from, you would say, mediocrity to unbelievable, stupendous football right in front of you. I mean, the changes are basically night and day, and I'll be honest with you, um, Sean, I felt it started in the Open Cup match against the Red Bulls at Montclair State University, where that that extra-time winner spearheaded and basically kick-started this big situation for the Revolution.
1: Yeah, and, you know, what's really incredible about it and the turnaround that happened under Bruce Arena is the roster isn't that much different from what Brad Friedel had. And I would say that calling them mediocre in that period is generous because they were absolutely terrible under Brad Friedel. I think Brad Friedel was one of the worst coaches in the history of the league. Um, And, you know, under Bruce Arena, the roster has had some changes. But as far as a, you know, GM with with player acquisitions in the Revolution, I don't think Bruce Arena – has done anything special. Um, you know, he brought in Gustavo Bowe, who's been great. He brought in Adam Bukta, who uh, had a slow start, but has looked much better this year. But Carly's heel was, you know, brought in under Brad Friedel. The entire defense outside of, you know, Henry Ketzler was brought in under Brad Friedel. Matt Turner was brought in under Jay Heaps. Um, you know, most of this midfield, a lot of this midfield was brought in uh, under Brad Friedel. Um, and, you know, Carly, again, Carly seal the MVP candidate, was a Brad Friedel signing. So the the guys that uh, Bruce has spent a lot of money on in this offseason, uh, Wilford Capsum has been a bit of a bust. Uh, Arnar Tristesen has been, you know, pretty mediocre. And Christian Masla has been mostly injured. And those are, you know, the three most expensive signings Bruce has made in the past, you know, past off season. So the fact that they're doing this well with, you know, what the, in large part the same roster they had when they were doing so poorly just shows, You know how good of a coach Bruce Arena is. That he turned a roster that you know Brad Friedel was questioning the mentality of this team and basically implying that they weren't capable of having a winning mentality. I think you can see from this season they were very capable of having a winning mentality. And it's a credit to Bruce, uh, the coach, more than Bruce the GM, um, because he does have both roles with the Revolution, uh, that the Revolution have turned this things around. And it, it started right away. Uh, like you said, pointing to that Open Cup game. It really started right away since Bruce Arena took over. Um, but, it, 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 you know, this might be – you listed his long list of accomplishments. I think turning the revolution from what they were into possibly the team that gets the most points in the history of the league, that might be right there at the top of those accomplishments list with his you know, run in the 2002 World Cup.
0: How proud are you of Matt Turner? I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I think he's done a masterful job in goal – for the revolution, and then of course he goes out with Team USA in the CONCACAF Gold Cup, and he goes from the opening group stage match against Haiti, wins every game, only gives up a penalty against Martinique in the second group stage game, wins one nil over uh, Jamaica in the quarters, wins one nil over Qatar in the semis, wins one nil in extra time in the final against hated rivals Mexico. And he makes these huge saves to start the match, and then he basically coasts. But still, though, he's been playing net brilliantly for the revolution. How much of a revelation has he been? And do you, are you afraid of losing him right now to probably European side, or even as well as World Cup qualifying? Because I got a funny feeling he just staked his claim to a roster spot for Berhalter.
1: Oh, absolutely. I'd be very surprised if he's not, you know, one of the three keepers that's on that roster for World Cup qualifying. I think he's got to be um, the way he's playing. I I personally think he should start. I don't don't know if that's actually going to happen, but um, he's got to be part of that roster. But uh, you talk about Matt Turner. I I think there's a great chance that he's going to be overseas very soon. I don't know whether it's going to happen in January or, you know, further down the road, but he's been playing incredible. We've been lucky in New England to have a lot of really, really good goalkeepers over the years, you know, guys like Matt Reese, Aiden Brown, uh, Walter Zinga before that. Um, the Rebs have been blessed with a lot of great goalkeepers. I don't know that I've ever seen one that's quite as good of a shot stopper as Matt Turner. And the fact that he was a guy that, you know, struggled to get chances to play in college, I think he was offered one college scholarship, you know, turned it down and ended up being a walk-on or a tryout at, at Fairfield, um, you know, didn't get drafted in MLS. Uh, You know, fortunately, there was some connections between his coach and the the Revolution GM at the time, Mike Burns, um, got a chance to try out for the Revs, and the Revolution signed him to be their third-string goalkeeper. He actually loaned out to the Richmond Kickers for a couple seasons. And then under Brad Friedel, he finally got a chance. But even then, he ended up getting benched by Brad Friedel and, you know, was third choice behind Cody Crawford and and Brad Knighton for a while. Um, I think we all saw the talent that he had when he got that, you know, initial run out with uh, Brad Friedel. And, you know, could see how good he could be and were disappointed when he actually ended up being benched. Um, but then, you know, starting with Mike Lapper, who you know, told him that he was going to be the starter and then going through Bruce Arena, the way he's been playing the past few seasons is nothing short of phenomenal. And I think the the stats kind of back that up. If you look at, you know, not as much this season, do you think the Revolution defense has gotten better? Um, but the past two seasons, if you look at you know, goals against versus expected goals against, Matt Turner has been you know, run away the best in the league. Um, and it's really won points for the Revolution on its own. Uh, he's done that a bit this year, but I think it's kind of a testament to the rest of the Revs that they haven't needed him to do that as much um, this season. But he's just been phenomenal. I think that Gold Cup run and what he's doing with the Revolution is, is undoubtedly leading to interest in Europe. Um, and there's going to be some team that comes calling for him, whether it's in January or next summer.
0: I've never seen you this confident about the revolution in my life. I swear to God, you sound like a completely <laughs> changed person. What is going on? And where's the real Sean Donahue? No. <laughs>
1: it's, it's, it's true, though. And I, like I said, I think when Carly's heel went, went out, I think everyone was waiting for kind of the other shoe to drop. This, You know, this revolution team had been doing so well, but they'd been very reliant on him to lead the offense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the fact that they've gone four games unbeaten without him, uh, they drew the first game and won the next three – um, you know, not the not the most difficult schedule in the world since, since Carlisle's been out, but that to me is, is really impressive and a testament to how far this team came because I thought that without him they would really, really struggle. And, and so far it hasn't happened. It, it might happen this weekend against New York City FC, which I think is going to be their toughest test uh, yet since he's gone down. But so far it's been kind of incredible to see how well they've done without their best player.
0: Yeah, I agree with you there. So we'll see what happens down the road. But still, though, um, the Revolution have really improved. They're, they're, like I said, I, I trust in Bruce. I don't doubt him at all. He's got his magic. He knows how to spin his web of tricks. And, uh, you know, you should really be happy for what's been going on over at uh, the Razor. So, Sean, listen, thanks a lot for joining me again. I hope to have you back on again soon. Good luck uh, with the rest of the Revolution season. I'll talk to you soon, okay?
1: Thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to the game this weekend.
0: All right. You take care. Thanks a lot. All right. Sean Donahue, Revolution Recap, as he g- talks glowingly about the New England Revolution, as we get ready to have some fun. Get ready to have some fun. And, you know, it's just one of those things where you have say that Bruce Arena has done it again. Bruce Arena has done it again. And uh what more can you excuse me, sorry about that. What more can you say? What more can you say about how the job of what Bruce Arena has done on this revolution team it has been unbelievable it's been unreal and hopefully we will see what will happen here we'll take a look and once again um I, I, look i i think they're going to be one of the favorites to get to the almost cup final We'll have to wait and see, and we're going to see what the situation is going to be. Joining me right now, he covers the Chicago Fire for both Fire Confidential and The Athletic in Chicago. He is my good friend from the Windy City, the biggest Cub fan I ever knew and I've ever known, (laughs) but still though. Uh, Good man to talk uh, Chicago Fire soccer to. Guillermo Rivera joins me tonight to talk about the club. Good evening, Guillermo. How are you? And what's going on over there in uh, the Windy City?
2: Good, Daniel. How are you? I just, uh, I wouldn't uh, advertise
0: I'm a big Cubs Uh, fan at the moment. I'm doing all right. I know. They're not having a good year. Yeah, I know. They're not having a good year, the Cubs. I know it. I know, but listen, you've got your World Series in your back pocket. You should be happy anyway, but
2: still. <laughs> <That's true>. uh,
0: <laughs> very, very true. All right, so I know it's not where the fire wants to be right now, but have you seen improvement through Raphael Wicke's tactics currently? And do you feel that he's done enough where I don't know how much – how many years are left on his current coaching deal? But do you feel he's done enough to show some form of improvement? And if not, why not?
2: Uh, he has an option for next year, so they've got to decide whether they're going to bring him back or not. I believe uh, York Heights is in the same situation. Uh, I haven't seen any indication that they are not planning on picking up that option option to bring him back. Uh, Manfredo, Joe Manzuero has said that he's... <laughs> Happy with both Heights and uh, uh, Wiki, uh, he's gone as far as to say he doesn't think he he doesn't see anything that they've done wrong, which is <laughs> a bit of an odd statement considering where they're sitting. Uh, there has been some sporadic improvement. Um, I, 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 certainly not what the fire were expecting. I, I think most people, uh, myself included, looking at this team going in, did not think that they were going to be very good. Uh, they were borderline playoff team. Uh, they have actually been worse than that this year. Uh, so I I don't know how you can justify saying that uh, they don't see anything they've done wrong. Um, and, uh, tactics and uh, substitutions are something that uh, can be debated on end for every manager in every league across the world. Um, but I, I, I think uh, there's a combination of um, this team just isn't very good. <laughs> And and I, I I think the manager is taking some time to adjust to MLS and trying to put together a, a, a team that uh, just isn't
0: good. Yeah, I yeah I, I'll say that definitely. I I just I I mean I mean Bornstein has done a decent job. I thought Barrich was a very good signing for them uh, to bring over. Um, I mean, outside of the one win over the Red Bulls, where of course they get two goals, two goals early within the first seven eight minutes, um, I, I just, I, well, I, I just that, to me it just seems you, like they're, the, the,
2: yeah. Well, that's one thing you mentioned the two goals, and those two goals were scored by uh, Lukas Torjanovic, who for some reason uh, has been um, at at, uh, <laughs> at the end of the bench for. Uh, the better part of the last two months uh, before that game, And uh, early on in the season, he had proven that he was their best finisher and uh, just fell out of favor. Wiki decided uh, that he had better options. And uh, I, I don't think he does. I You mentioned Robert Barrett. So I think we've talked about him before. Um, he's not um, what you would expect from a designated player. Uh, even bringing him in, last year and he, he scored some goals, but you can see that this guy is not an impact player. He's not a player that makes people better. He's kind of a, a guy who will uh, just bungle his way into, into finding goals. Uh, he, he doesn't uh, hold up the ball really well. He, he's just not a guy that you uh, uh, that you want to rely on as one of your designated players. Um, uh, again, Gaston Jimenez, who uh, – uh, had big expectations coming out of Argentina, has not performed at the designated player standards. Uh, they just, uh, you can't miss on your DPs, and they've missed on all three of them. It's just it, Ignacio Aliseda, who has been shown a few flashes here and there, um, another younger sort of uh, uh, player that they expected to have an impact, and he hasn't made that impact. You cannot miss on your designated players, and they've missed on all three, um, uh, Alvaro Medran, who has been uh, um, decent for, for the two years he's been here, uh, is uh, probably the best of the higher priced players that, that they brought in. And, and he was brought in by the Rodriguez Ponovich group. Uh, so even he uh, wasn't brought in by Heights and uh, Wiki. So I, I think uh, as a FIRE fan, you really have to question what the direction is of this team if you think that uh, Heights. And Wiki uh, deserve to continue to uh, sort of uh, find their way in MLS uh, at their expense.
0: Do you think there has to be a change at sporting director, or general manager, to shake up this fire club again? I, I, I mean,
2: I, I believe it definitely needs to be looked at. Uh, I know, uh, heights was brought in on, uh, uh, after Nelson Rodriguez uh, was relieved of his duties after uh, an abysmal tenure. Uh, and he didn't have a whole lot of time to put a team together. Um, so maybe there's a little bit of leeway given there um, because um, he was sort of rushed into cobbling together a team in very short notice. Um, but, again, uh, you have to look at the, the decisions that against made in the last two years. Uh, they could have uh, – found their way to looking at uh, the team they put together. and say, okay, we made some mistakes here, uh, so let's take a look at where we can improve. But they didn't do that in this past offseason. Instead, they decided that, hey, let's just keep this team together for the sake of continuity, and let's see if they get any good because we saw some flashes uh, last season, and that just hasn't been the case. And I think most people who looked at this team thought this really isn't a playoff team. They're a bottom of the Eastern Conference, uh, maybe 8, 9, 10 uh, contender at best.
0: And then that's proven to be accurate. Yeah. Well, how bad was it? Or maybe it was the best thing of business. I don't know. But obviously, Frankowski was transferred out uh, in this past window. Was that a smart move, you thought? Or was that uh, a move that that you were basically saying to yourself, what's the point of transferring that when you needed him or someone like him to continue on to be a strong player for, or at least a strong player for this fire side.
2: Yeah. I mean, they needed him to to uh, get the best out of that position, but again, they weren't going anywhere. So um, I think the Frankowski move was probably a good move for the club and for the player. Uh, they got a, a pretty decent uh, return on the initial transfer fee they paid for him. Uh, they got, uh, I believe, a little over $3 million uh, uh, in a transfer fee for Frankowski. Uh, he got an opportunity to play in Ligue 1. So uh, I think it worked out well for both of them. Uh, Frankowski's still a young enough player that maybe he can develop in uh, in France. And uh, playing in the top line in France is certainly a big opportunity for a player like him. Uh, he's impressed with the Polish national team. Uh, and the fire gets some... Um, money back uh, on their initial investment, and uh, hopefully they can use that to um, find a, an impact winger of, of which they don't have right now.
0: What's it going to take for this club to get back to where they were in the late '90s? Obviously, Bob Bradley was the head coach. He had so many <laughs> wonderful players. Uh, you know, obviously um, Novak Kubik. Demarcus Beasley, Curtin, um, you know, back in the old days I, I, where they were winning yeah, open cups you know, like nobody's business. Yeah,
2: that's that, I mean, that's the million dollar question. Uh, I, I think uh, the ownership change from uh, Hoffman to Mansueto was a, a, a major step in that direction. Uh, Mansueto has the money. Um, I, I'm not sure that he has quite figured out what he needs to do to win an MLS. And, and quite honestly, um, if you look at uh, what I think they need to do, I, I think they need a to a complete house cleaning from top to bottom um, with an insertion of, of uh, talent that knows MLS, knows how to win an MLS, and, uh, can, and sort of a, and can find a way to establish a link to the fans that they have a completely alienated over the last two years. I mean they made a move to Soldier Field. Thinking that was going to be uh, in their best interest, and I, I think that that remains to be seen. And, and that's saying it uh, uh, pretty politely that uh, making the move Soldier Field at this point has uh, ep- that provided absolutely none of the impact that they thought it was going to make. Uh, so you, you have to, you have to wonder how long this team can continue to flounder in the way that they are without some drastic improvement. And, and the Mansueto has uh, certainly shown that he is willing to commit the dollars to it. Uh, but at, at some point you're going to have to have people in the decision-making uh, positions that spend those dollars in the correct amount. And uh, well, well, we'll see if, uh, if those people are in place yet.
0: Well, at least they're going to go back to some form of the old uh, fire uh, shield that that big Chicago sees coming back, even though uh, yeah, I mean, the original complete, shield's not uh, coming back.
2: You know, but, you know, again, that's another uh, unnecessary uh, self-inflicted wound that could have been uh, avoided if they had just listened to their fans in the first place. Uh, so they end up going back to something that's fairly similar to the old logo which is what fans told them they wanted in the first place but they they felt that uh, they should do otherwise. So again, it it's just and in the circle of mistake after mistake that at some point if this team is going to survive, they're going to need to step away from.
0: So then let me ask you this then because you really sound very annoyed about this Chicago Fire team, which I don't blame you. <laughs> Well, what would happen one day? The owner of the fire gives Guillermo Rivera a call and says, "Guillermo, I'd like for you to join the front office staff. Would you take the job?" No. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I would say go out and get somebody with MLS. Go out and get somebody with MLS experience who knows how to win an MLS, who's been a proven winner in MLS has MLS connections, knows how to work the camp, knows how to work connections within the league and start there.
0: There you go. And that my friends is why this is the man that knows anything and everything inside and out of Chicago fire soccer. And the truth is he is correct because there are days (laughs) and I've seen it. I've, I, I've, I've had my fair share of that back in the old days when it was the Metro Stars, and believe me, I know what you're talking about. Some, or, as, or as this old saying goes, even though it's not a real proverb, some days you eat the bear and sometimes the bear eats you, but always dress for the hunt. And that's <laughs> the old Adventures Club from uh, Pleasure Island at Disney World, which is no longer around, unfortunately. But I don't blame how you feel, man. I, I don't blame you how you feel. It's just crazy, do you think well actually, that's kind of uh how you call that uh now, I just forgot how you how you say it uh, but let's just put it this way it's a uh, it's not derogatory uh, but obviously, if you had someone if you had Bob Bradley back at Chicago, do you think you would have made this team a success again um i
2: I think that i mean somebody like Bob Bradley would definitely be a step in the right direction uh, man, I uh, am. <laughs> I mean, there's, they need someone like Bob Bradley in a leadership position in order to turn things around. Um, you know, Bruce Arena um, was able to turn around an organization that had been floundering for years, uh, and uh, part of that original group of teams. And uh, look where the revolution are. Uh, so there is something to be said with bringing in people who are familiar with the league and how to manage the league. And I I think that's where uh, the fire have failed in um, this opportunity to kind of reinvent themselves uh, in Soldier Field. I I mean, they have, uh, because of the last two years, have completely wasted any amount of uh, enthusiasm or momentum they might have established for themselves by (laughs) moving Um, uh, downtown. If you notice, they broadcast their games here locally on WGN, which is – Uh, pretty big news uh, locally in the Chicago area and that was the home of the Cubs for decades and and that uh, I thought was a step in the right direction Uh, but again they've wasted all of that uh, by just putting a subpar uh, product on the field
0: yeah no I agree with you there unfortunately and hopefully uh, we'll see what the fire can do and if they can learn from their mistakes hopefully maybe things will get turned around so are you ready for World Cup qualifying, Guillermo? You are ready to see what's going to happen here in CONCACAF? What's going on, my friend? How are you feeling? Yeah, I, I'm
2: I'm ready for that. I think yeah, most people who follow you know, U.S. Uh, men's soccer are uh, somewhat excited just because, by virtue of the two wins uh, over Mexico um, this past year. Uh, you, you can never tell what's going to happen in CONCACAF. But, uh, yeah, I am looking forward to to uh, watching the U.S. Uh, try to get through uh, qualifiers. They're, they've got a young team. They've got, uh, uh, I think, players who people are going to be excited about seeing for the first time in a couple of years. Um, well, yeah, I am looking forward to watching the U.S. m
0: So am I. It's going to be fun. I think we're going to have ourselves a damn good uh, octagonal, or shall I call it the octagon. It just, feels, it just feels right to call it the octagon. It'll be a battle. We all know this. <laughs> but Guillermo, thank you very much for your time. I always appreciate you coming on the show. I hope to have you on again soon. Uh, good luck the rest of the season. Good luck uh, with everything. You have a good night. Thank you. You too, Dave. All right. Guillermo Rivera, Fire Confidential and The Athletic in Chicago, talking about the Chicago Fire and everything else going on with it. Now, real quickly, no Red Bulls match this past Saturday night. Mother Nature once again takes them out due to, of course, the tropical storm of Henri Henry, however you want to pronounce it. It's H-E-N-R-I, and tons of weather. Tons of rain, thunder, and lightning. Two and a half hours. Supposed to be on Fox Sports 1 this past Saturday night, but because of the torrential rain, thunderstorm, tropical storm, and lightning, and thunder, and everything, after two and a half hours, the pit dig match was postponed. And we do not have a makeup date just yet, and when we do, we'll let every Red Bulls fan know what's going on. But it is Mother Nature 2. The New York Red Bulls, nil. And we'll see what happens when that match gets made up. We'll have to wait and see. But we have a combined grand total of 92 clubs in the amateur level of American soccer getting ready to qualify for the 2022 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. Here are the dates of the four qualifying rounds that these amateur clubs are going to go after and semi-professional clubs are going to go after to qualify for one of those spots in the amateur division. In September, the first round will be on September the 18th and the 19th, The second round will be October 16th and 17th. The third round will be in November on the 20th and the 21st. And, of course, the fourth round will be in December on the 18th and 19th. And here are those teams representing their respective states. In California, 24 amateur clubs will represent the state. And they are Contra Costa FC from the NPSL. El Farolito, FC Davis, and the Oakland Stompers from the National Soccer League, Real San Jose, San Francisco Soccer Football League. We have Inter San Francisco, we have Metro FC. In the Southwest Premier League, we have Capistrano FC, Chula Vista FC, the LA Monsters, the Outbreak FC, Real Sociedad Royals out of Irvine, California, UPSL. Desert Communities SC, Pathfinders. Escondido, excuse me, FC. Gramio FC in San Diego. JASA RWC in Redwood City. Modesto City Football Club. Rebel Soccer Club. Rose City FC, San Fernando Valley FC, Sporting ID 11, Trojans FC, and White Tigers FC. Ten from Colorado, from the Colorado Premier League, Boulder United FC, Colorado Rovers, from the Colorado Super League, Athletic Club of Sloan's Lake Azteca FC, Colorado Rush, FC Denver, FC Union Jerez, GAM United FC, Peak 11 Football Club, and the good old Harpo's FC. The only lone club from Connecticut, Newtown Pride FC. From Washington, D.C. area, from the D.C. Premier League, of Maryland State Soccer Association, D.C. Cheddar. And from Woodbridge Soccer League, the Association of National Football and USA Districtonia Football. <coughs> Excuse me. From Florida, 14 clubs. City Soccer FC out of West Palm Beach. Florida Brothers out of Miami Gardens. Hurricane FC out of Delray Beach. Miami Soccer Academy out of Miami. Orlando FC Wolves. Palm Beach Breakers. Red Force FC of Miami Gardens. Yeah, from the United Premier Soccer League, Deportivo Lake Mary FC out of, of course Lake Mary, the Florida Soccer Soldiers are back out of Miami Beach, International Soccer Association, also known as ISA, Boca Raton, Miami Beach Club de Football from Miami Gardens, Miami Sun FC, Naples City FC and Oceanway FC out of Jacksonville, three clubs out of Georgia from the Atlanta District Amateur Soccer League, the Georgia Revolution. FC Reserves. From the United Premier Soccer League, Atletico, Atlanta, and the Georgia Storm FC. Also from the NPSL. From Illinois of the Metro East Football Association, FC Maritza from O'Fallon, Illinois, the Lone Club from Kentucky in the Ohio Valley Premier League, Lexington Land Sharks. From Maryland, two clubs from the Maryland Major Soccer League, Rockville Soccer Club in Gaithersburg, Maryland, and the Washington Premier League, Hawks FC from Boyd's. From Massachusetts, from the Bay State Soccer League, Brockton FC United, Kendall Wanderers returns. From the UPSL, Unations FC out of Marlborough, Mass., from New Jersey, the Garden State Soccer League. From Jackson, New Jersey, the Jackson Lions. And two clubs from Clifton, New Jersey, from the UPSL. That is EFA Metro and the New Jersey Alliance. From the state of New York, from the Eastern Premier Soccer League, New Amsterdam FC2 out of Warwick. From the Bronx. New York Greek American SC, Queens, the New York Panseprian Freedoms, from the Rochester District Soccer League and Western New York Soccer Association, IASC Boom from Irondequoit, Quoet, Western New York, along the lakes of Lake Ontario, and not far away from Rochester and Buffalo. From the UPSL, Oyster Bay United out of Rockville Center and Westchester United FC from Yonkers. In Nevada, two representing the UPSL, Battleborne FC out of Mindern, Nevada, and Zillowreal Las Vegas from Las Vegas, Nevada. From Pennsylvania, five sides will be participating from the United Premier Soccer League. Philadelphia Lone Star and the Pittsburgh City United from, Monroe, from Monroeville, Pennsylvania. From the United Soccer League of Pennsylvania, the Eastern PA Soccer Association, Philadelphia Ukraine Nationals from North Wales, Pennsylvania, the United German-Hungarians are back, Ambler, PA, and once again, Varengong Erzgerberge from Warm minis- From War Minister Pennsylvania. The only representative of South Carolina, from the United from the UPSL, South Carolina, United Heat. <coughs> Excuse me. From Texas, six clubs representing from the Dallas Soccer Alliance, Lone Star Republic out of Dallas, National Soccer League, Athletic Katie FC, from Katie, Texas, Houston Hotshots, GPFC. San Antonio Runners out of San Antonio. From the Roja League, the Setters Kicks Soccer Club out of Dallas. And from the UPSL, Southwestern, excuse me, Southwest Football Club from El Paso. From Virginia, eight clubs will represent, and this is the last group, ladies and gentlemen. Eastern Premier Soccer League, Nova FC of Leesburg, Virginia United FC out of Woodbridge, you from the UPSL, Lynchburg FC out of Lynchburg, Virginia. From the Woodbridge Soccer League, Allianz Football Club out of Woodbridge. CA United out of Woodbridge. Cornito FC from Woodbridge. Springfield FC from Woodbridge. Tons of Woodbridge clubs. Springfield FC also from Woodbridge. And finally, Toros FC from Woodbridge. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. And we do have clubs that are U.S. Open Cup champions. And that is, of course, from New York. New York Greek Americans, four-time U.S. Open Cup champion. The New York Pan-Cyprian Freedoms. They are a three-time Open Cup champion. And the Philadelphia Ukraine Nationals, a four-time Open Cup champion, those are the three clubs representing the states of Pennsylvania and New York that have won multiple Open Cups in the past, multiple Open Cups in the past. Always nice to have those clubs returning, attempting to regain their crown and hopefully They will make a big run going back to the U.S. Open Cup championship final. It is exciting. It is a lot of fun. And once again, later on, maybe this week, we will be informed when the first round matchups will be announced. But these are the 92 clubs representing those states. That will be qualif- that, Excuse me. That will be qualifying for the 2022 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup, as they will make the attempt to get to the first round draw. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, the first round draw. That is when you know you have made it to the dance. And congratulations to Lansdowne Yonkers FC, also known as the Lansdowne Boys, winning the 2021 U.S. Adult Soccer Association National Amateur Championship back on August 7th. They have won their automatic spot for the first round of the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup in 2022. Excitement. It's ecstatic. It's beautiful. Originally from the Bronx myself, technically that's my backyard, Yonkers. I didn't live that far away from Yonkers, ladies and gentlemen. Driving-wise, it's not that far. McLean Avenue is the border that separates the Bronx and the start of Westchester County. When you cross the street, you are, you are in the Yonkers. If you crossed back, you're into the Bronx. It all depends on where you're starting and then where you're finishing. It is absolutely fantastic. And once again, this is a huge, huge moment when we're finally back, getting down to business, getting ready for qualification. And hopefully we'll bring you some interviews with some of these clubs that are getting ready for qualification for the U.S. Open Cup and for that first round. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that'll do it for me tonight. My guests, I want to thank them tonight. Of course, Sean Donahue, Revolution Recap Podcast. Guillermo Rivera, Fire Confidential, and The Athletic in Chicago. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care. So long. And bye-bye for now.